Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. All right, you made it. You guys glad to be here? I am. I'm so glad that you're here. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here, and it's an honor to be gathering with you in person. Thanks for joining us online as well. We love that we get to do this. It's such an honor and a privilege that you would take time on a Sunday, get up early, and show up in this space. And I just want to take a moment and celebrate some things as we kind of move into uh, the last week of silence and solitude. You guys excited about that? Because it's been painful the last two weeks, right? It's been, it's been a lot of work, heavy soul work. But before we get into that, I just want to celebrate. We've been in the middle of what we're calling our Here for Good campaign. And uh, so just some progress updates. As of today, we have raised a little over $411,000 because of your radical generosity. Put your hands together for all that God is doing in and through you and our partners and churches all over the nation God is not done yet, and so we're in the middle of putting our hands toward permanence and specifically trying to own this building that we've been meeting in since uh, we launched in 2019. And so if you want to know more information about the Here for Good campaign, there are booklets in the seatbacks in front of you or in the lobby. Um, also, I just want to celebrate, we're not pack rats around here. All the, all the materials you see in the lobby are for the fire relief and, and the Marshall Fire stuff going on. And so if you know anybody that needs help as they kind of get back into figuring out what's next, if their homes were burned down or if they had a lot of smoke damage, uh, we've distributed, I think, like 70 air purifiers, like upwards of almost $10,000 worth of air purifiers already. Uh, we've got backpacks going to kids who lost all their toys starting today. Uh, we've got all the essential items floating around as well. And so if you need anything or you know anyone that needs anything, we have all of those available. Uh, also, you're going to notice a giant truck in our parking lot and a huge sea container. Uh, that's not because we're moving. That is because we are making more room to receive even more materials as City Church becomes a distribution center for fire relief efforts connected with Surf 68, our national partners. And so I just wanted to kind of catch you up to what's going on. As we, we say, we have a vision not just to be a church in and for the city, but to be a church here for good. And we're grateful that no matter what's happening in the middle of our efforts of this building, it's kind of like this big question mark at this point, but then we are still a church here for good. And so I'm grateful that, that there is no city church without you. And so thank you. Put your hands together for your radical generosity, for God trusting us to serve our city well. Lots of really cool things are, help, uh, are happening. Uh, if you watch your emails and our social media platforms, that's the best way to stay connected and up to date with like things going on and opportunities for serving opportunities, things like that. In addition, our city groups, Maddie said, are launching this week and I'm so pumped. We have five groups all over Boulder. Great ways to build community, but also it's a way that we serve the city together primarily through our groups. We can mobilize groups a lot more quickly than we can mobilize a hundred people from a gathering or something like that. And so um, one of the best ways for you to stay connected and serve is through a city group. But again, watch those social media platforms, watch your email, because when opportunities come up, we will communicate those ahead of time, hopefully, so that we can let you know uh, about serving uh, the, the relief efforts that are going on right now. That's all I got for you on that little announcement. But today we're going to be wrapping up our series, and I'm really excited. If you're a guest with us here at City Church, first of all, I just want to say so grateful 
that you're joining us today. It's an honor to have you. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey today, as, you, as you're kind of gathering with us, I want you to know that you are loved, safe, and welcome here. And I desire to meet you where you are and help you take a next step, whatever that looks like for you. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, hopefully you've been getting a lot out of the last couple of weeks like I have. It's been an incredible time. If you've missed the last two weeks, we intentionally started this year in a space of focusing on our our quiet time with God or our relationship with God and cultivating this practice or this discipline that we're calling silence and solitude. And so we're going to be wrapping that up and all of these are tying together and we start a new series next week that I am so excited about. It's going to be an incredible time as we continue to grow together as a church. But to get our conversation off the ground today, I, I don't know how you're walking in, but I've had a lot of dialogue this week with a lot of people. You ever go through a week and you feel like you just got, kind of got punched in the mouth? You ever been there? which is one of those weeks where, where you know, either, either all week it was just kind of getting handed to you, or at least one day out of the week, or at least moments out of those days throughout the week. You just had some hard, rough spots. You ever feel like, like just getting out of bed is a battle? You ever feel like things can go in really good, and you just kind of are kind of looking around the corner expecting something to come and, and, and show up as a struggle? Kids are getting along great, and all of a sudden somebody hits somebody with a toy, and, you know, you're like, why couldn't we just... You know, the, the bill that shows up, the extra, the, the, the flat tire, the, the relational dynamics, the, the thing at work. We have all these things that kind of just constantly ebb and flow in our lives. And it doesn't just affect us at a, at a, at a physical level. It affects us at a mental level and a, an emotional level and a spiritual level. You ever look around and, and kind of ask the question like, man, why, why is the world such a mess? Like every time you turn around, right? There's just something else, something new or if you're like me, you don't even get that big because you just kind of look at yourself and you're like, okay, I mean, yes, there's some messes out there, but why am I such a mess? <laughs> like, man, there is some stuff going on in me. And it's not consistent and it's frustrating. Even maybe getting to church, right? Even just gathering together is a struggle at times. You ever just feel like life is a battle? I think I've been wrestling with this week and, and my thoughts were, well, maybe because it is a battle, See, we, we talk about following Jesus a lot here at City Church, like, like to be a follower of Jesus, and we, and we try to connect language like, like following Jesus is a journey, and it absolutely is, and, we, and we, I think we like to talk about it like that, and it's you know, kind of this little you know, Lord of the Rings, Hobbit adventure that we get to go on with Jesus, and it feels good, and it's fun, but the reality is you and I can't ignore that, that a lot of times Scripture speaks of our spiritual lives as spiritual warfare, like a, like a battle, like right, there's these verses that kind of float around in my head, like fight the good fight of faith. Or, or like put on the armor of God. And there's a, there's a lot of, of language around life actually being a battle. And, and Paul would encourage us like, that it's not like a fight against flesh and blood. It's not against our neighbors and our families. It's not this stuff that's the challenge. But we have enemies of the soul, both internally and externally. And so the, the reason I want to set it up this morning is because of the role of spiritual disciplines is to move us past our willpower, which, I mean, I, I'm sure everyone in the room has, has watched their willpower fail, right? It's the last cookie, and you're like, I shouldn't, but I will. You know, one more slice of lasagna, one more drink, one more click, one more scroll. Our willpower doesn't always deliver. Sometimes, you know, it can show up, and it's good, but most of the time, uh, it falls short. And so the role of spiritual disciplines is moving past our willpower and moving into, tapping into, leveraging God's power in our life. And that's not meant to be cliche. It's absolutely a conduit. Now, 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 for the purpose of our conversations today, 
I just want to remind you that the power is not found in the practice. I, I think you know that, but I got to remind you of that because if you're not careful, if your soul's like mine, we can kind of get like religious instead of, instead of like cultivating our relationship with Jesus, like he says in John 15. And again, if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe all you've been presented with up to this point is kind of like religious isms and do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs and rules and regulations. And that's your idea of what it means to follow Jesus, but it's to- so radically different than that that when we talk about spiritual disciplines over and over again, we've said, hey, these are invitational. These are conduits. These are catalysts into a deeper relationship with God to hear his voice, to experience his power, to live a life that is truly life and to find escapes from some of the bombardment and the spiritual warfare and just the struggle of internal and external noise. And so the power is not found in the practice. The power is still in Jesus Jesus is still the answer, right? You're in church, you ever wonder, you know, like, okay, what's the answer? It's still Jesus. Like, it's a good answer, no matter what you find yourself in. The power is in our relationship with Jesus. And, 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 and hear me, guys, listen. If it wasn't for Jesus, if it wasn't for what Jesus has done in our place for our sin, that he would live a perfect life, he would die on a cross for the sins of the world, he would be buried and rise again. If it wasn't for Jesus and Jesus alone, there is no access into the things that we're talking about. There is no relationship with God. There is not enough willpower and good vibes to sustain us. There is not life now, spiritually, and forever outside of our relationship with Jesus. And so it all starts and ends there. I just don't want you to miss that, right? It's always about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It's always gonna be about Jesus. And if you're wrestling of whether or not you wanna follow Jesus, just know that, you, that, that that's the one you gotta wrestle with. Not, not do I, you know, are these chairs comfortable and how do I like the color orange in this room? Right, like that's, that's, not the, that's not what it is. And even the disciplines today are about getting closer to Jesus, nothing else, okay? So week one, we, we started with this definition, and I'll, I'll just kind of do a quick uh, run through um, of silence and solitude. This practice is intentional time in the quiet to be alone with ourselves and God. That's the practice we're cultivating. If you've grown up around church, maybe it was called a quiet time, or and those are all great things. We call it getting alone, with God. That's daily, intimate, personal time alone with ourselves and God. In week two, I introduced this guy named Elijah that we looked at last week. He's this Old Testament prophet, and he, he, he just kind of gives us a glimpse into the human perspective of this practice of silence and solitude. And I gave you like the first half of Elijah's story last week. I'm going to give you the second half today. And then today, I want to wrap everything up by going back to Jesus and the example we see in his life. And, and then and kind of empowering us as we approach this 21 days of, of prayer and fasting and all that. You guys with me? Okay, we know where we're going now. You got the destination in mind. So let's dig into it. Elijah, let me just kind of catch you back up in case you weren't here last week or, or just remind you of how we got here. Elijah is in a place where he is running for his life. He is not in a good place spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. He is exhausted. He is scared for his life. There are death threats out. So at, at one point, he was so exhausted and so just just messed up that he basically just kind of prays a prayer and writes a suicide note. And, and what's interesting about Elijah is he's going from an incredible spiritual high to an incredibly, incredibly spiritual and physical and mental low. All With us, it's just a chapter, but all within a few, a few moments, we see all of these things happen. His circumstances change, and then everything else is affected by that. And so in Elijah, we looked at last week this seven-stage pattern, not a formula, right? This is not like do these things in order to get the most out of your quiet time the most out of your silence and solitude. We, we saw a seven-stage pattern in the life of Elijah that, that allows us to see what it can feel like and what it can be like when we start to get alone with ourselves and God. And Bethany Allen, I think, sums it up really, really helpfully in this quote. I'll, I'll give it to you to kind of help us 
sit in this, that when we allow ourselves to be, don't miss that word, to be in the presence of God, we begin to see things as they really are. And that includes us, ourselves. So I don't know where you're coming in, but if you and I want our lives to be aligned with God, if, if we want God's perspective in our lives, think about it for a sec. If he's really good, if he's really loving, if he's really all-knowing, if he's really wanting to be present, then what, 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 would, what, what, what can we assume from his perspective? Like, man, wouldn't we want his perspective in our dating and in our struggle with addiction? Wouldn't we want his perspective in our careers and what's happening and what's next and in our futures or in, in, in bringing up our kids or in our marriages? Wouldn't we want his perspective in our singleness or in our, with our money or with our sexuality or, or, or with our homes and the environments we're setting? In every area of life, there's an opportunity through Jesus to be aligned with God, to have his perspective and his power in our lives that it then informs our daily walk with him and our next steps. But here's the deal. You and I have to give God the space to do the work of realignment in our hearts. It's it's no question whether or not you had a moment of of, of misalignment this week, right? Every single one of us had moments of just things being out of whack, whether it showed up externally or it it was an internal thing, whether it was how we talked to somebody or it was internal depression, Whatever it was, we all have moments of, of just kind of getting out of alignment. Or maybe you, you found yourself out of alignment for months now. Wherever you are, we've got to give God the space to realign us. Now, Grayson uh, and Asher, the, the, my, my, my six and my four-year-old, they both love to ride bikes. Um, but Grayson's like just a little harder on his bike. And so every now and then he'll bring his bike back and his handlebars are facing one way and his, his tire is facing a different way. You know what I'm talking about? He hit something, he ran into a curb, he tried to jump a rock, whatever he did. And so he, he brings his bike back out of alignment. And, and, and so, I mean, you can, I guess, try to pretend like it's okay, right? Ride like this, you know? <laughs> but, but eventually, right, you want it back in alignment. And so what, what, what does dad do? I just grab his handlebars and I just, I can kick the tire and bam, it's ready to go. And I think a lot of us, we show up with God, we want it to be like that. Like, hey God, things are out of alignment, real quick, 10 minutes, thanks for fixing it, let's go. And we just want to real quick make the adjustment and move on. But the reality is our souls and our mental and emotional state, the things deep underneath, we talked about that, that idea of like your lives like, like an iceberg. What's going on underneath the surface, man, that's way more than kicking a tire. <laughs> it's probably like bringing your car into the shop and having it realigned, and that's probably way past our own capacity. And so I want you to think of like silence and solitude as that. Getting alone with God, it's going to take some time, but then we can find realignment in our head, our heart, and then eventually our hands. Now, you might find yourself in a space where you say, well, what if I don't want God's perspective? Like, well, what if I don't want to be in alignment with God? And that's fair. Because it's sometimes that God asked me to do stuff, and I'm like, I don't like that. And that sounds hard, and that doesn't feel good, and I want to do what I want to do. But when you and I truly understand who God is and who we are, when we actually get the proper perspective that he's a good dad who loves us, even if we don't carry his understanding, we can trust his heart. I've heard it said, even when we can't see his hands, we can trust his heart. And so it's really about whether or not we, we, we know who God is. And the more that you and I know God, the more that you and I love God. The more that you and I love God, the more that you and I will be able to obey God. Not the other way around. So how do we get to know God? By spending time with him. It's the whole point of this discipline, okay? Religion confuses this. It says, hey, let's, let's work really hard 
to get all the external things together so that we can hopefully make an internal shift. We work really hard on the outside to move an internal shift, and Jesus says, no, that's not the invitation. The invitation is be with me, and I will shift things from the inside out. You guys with me? That's exactly the pattern we see in the life of Elijah. That's where we're going today, okay? So the, the quick, I'm going to run through, like last week, I gave you four things we see in Elijah's life. The first thing is resting. He's just so flat exhausted that he literally takes a nap and has a snack. And sometimes, right, we just can't ignore that we're whole people and whole bodies and we can't disconnect spiritual and physical life and, and emotional and mental life. That, that, that sometimes the best thing you can do is to rest, that if there's not margin in your life, to be quiet and to, be, and, and to slow down, it's going to be really, really hard to get the most out of this practice. And so the first thing we see Elijah do is he literally has to rest before he can do anything else. The next thing we do is we see him waiting. That, that, in fact, he, he, is, he is walking and waiting, that for 40 days he hears nothing from God. And it's one of these things that, like, are we going to trust him even when we hear nothing? That, that's the hard part? So those 40 days are just nothing of, of him having his heart inclined and walking toward this space that we're about to see, but, but nothing happening. The next things that we see are both feeling and naming, and I talked about this last week, that this unique space, it's, it's one thing to feel something, it's another, another thing to like speak it out loud or to write it down or to identify why you're feeling a certain way, to, to take a step back and evaluate, well, wh- wh- where's that anger coming from? Why am I so impatient? Where's this envy coming from? Why, why, why was I so hurt by that comment? To actually take time, and, and, and Peter Scusero says to tame our feelings by naming our feelings, that so there's a space that we create by doing the deeper work of what's going on on the inside. And so, so Elijah just kind of emotionally vomits all over God when he finally gets the space to do so. He's still not in a good space, but he, at least he's like getting it out. At first he was just ready to, you know, he just said, hey God, just kill me, I'm done. I, I didn't sign up for this. But now he's at least in a place of talking, even though it's definitely still not healthy. And so now, let me show you in verses uh, nine and 10, where we are. So he comes to this cave after traveling this journey he lodges in it, and, and, and God shows up and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And we asked that, that question last week. We said, where are you? Kind of, kind of like, where, where are you at? Like, where's your soul at in relation to God? Where are you coming in today? That was the question that God asked. And here's what Elijah says. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I am the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. Right? Just kind of a, just letting it all out. And I want you to see what happens. He goes from this space to hearing. Here's the next pattern that we see. Hearing is the next one. So resting, waiting, feeling, naming, he goes to hearing. This is the part that I want. I want to hear from God, don't you? Right? When I get alone, I want to hear from God. I want his perspective. I want him to speak. Even if I don't agree, I, I'm trusting that it's going to be good for me. So I want to hear. Now watch what happens in verses 11 through 13. God says, go out and stand before the Lord. And, and so uh, the Lord passes by, and a great and strong wind to- uh, tore through the mountains and broke it into pieces, and the Lord was not in the wind. Okay, so there's a couple things that happened, and God is not speaking in these moments. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. He wasn't in the earthquake either. In verse, verse 12, he goes on, and he says, after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord wasn't even in the fire, and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. We talked about that last week. And so we don't know what Elijah hears here in this, but we don't know what, what God actually says. But when Elijah heard it, he wraps his face in his cloak and goes out and he stands at the entrance of the cave. That's a, that's a sign in this culture of humility. Which is just, just reverence in this moment. And then God asks him the same question again after whatever God has just spoken. He says, so, what are you doing here? Almost like an opportunity to reevaluate the same question. And 
Just props to Elijah, by the way, right, of, of this kind of waiting on God's presence. You guys see this, that he's waiting? He doesn't just bail out on the first one. Like, there's just kind of this silence, and God's not in the wind, or he's not in, you know, the magnificent. And so he doesn't just bail, but he sits in it, which is pretty amazing because most of us, you know, we have a hard time just sitting through a service, right? Like, much waiting on the presence of God, much less 15 minutes with God on a Monday morning or something. But Elijah sits in that space. I'm like, man, mad props to that guy. We don't know what's, what's said in this space, but what we will see in just a second is that whatever God says, it changes him. And that's the good news. When you and I get alone and we create space with God and we hear from God through his prayer, through, through prayer, through his word, even through his people, through community, it can change us. But watch what happens in verse, uh, I'm sorry, actually, the next one is being transformed. So it changes him, right? Tr- transformation comes by, by spending time with God. But, but watch this in verse 15. <laughs> I'm sorry, verse 14. Uh, Elijah literally says the exact same thing. So he hears from God. God says, so now where are you at? And he says the same thing. And I love how real and how human this is, that he literally hears from God and still nothing changes, <laughs> right? Like, like, I don't know if you've ever been there where you hear from God and you're just like not really ready to pivot or to move in this. And, and I love that he, he's sitting in this space and we just see the real reality that he literally has not moved yet. That right after you hear from God, there's not transformation yet. So watch what happens. God then goes on in response. He says, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you're going to anoint. And he, and he goes through, and he gives a couple of different people. He's going to empower a few new leaders, and he's going to hand off his mantle. Check this out. Let's go to right, right here, Elisha. He says, you're going to anoint him prophet in your place. So this is amazing. God finally speaks, and when God speaks, it's not just like to ease his, his emotional life. It's not just for Elijah's peace, but rather when God does speak, he connects it to direction and mission. That still, while God is caring for Elijah in this moment, recognizing where he is, he also brings him back to the bigger picture, to a bigger perspective, that, that while I care for you, while I love you, it's, it's not only about you. There is a bigger picture. And so he reminds him, hey, you're not alone. I'm working in all of this, even though you can't see it. And then he gives him instructions to hand off his leadership to somebody else. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it's very possible if he hadn't sat alone with God, he wouldn't have been in a place to receive this. Right? God didn't show up and say, hey, you suck at your job, we're going to give it to somebody else. Whatever God said changed him in such a way that he was now in such a good place that he could receive these instructions. You're going to see if you kept reading the story that he'll hand it off to Elisha because he's in a good space of trusting God and what's next. And God says, he goes on. We'll just skip down to verse 18. He says, there's 7,000 others. You're not alone. You might have felt alone, but you couldn't see what I was doing. And this is the benefit of getting alone with God. Is we, we, we not only identify our own perspective, that's why we name and tame our feelings, right? We say, here's my perspective, God. And then we hear from God's perspective. And that there's a good chance that those are out of alignment at times. And so he says, you just couldn't see what I could see. You're not alone. And so then we see the last step that he's going to be sent out, and he is re-entering a changed man, a different man. And I just want to encourage you in this, okay? I'm just showing you the pattern of working through the deeper stuff with God. When you get alone with yourself and God, there are things that are going to come up, and you and I have to sit, sit in them long enough to let God speak into them, to gain a perspective bigger than ourselves so that we can come out the other side different. Now, I want you to notice 
that Elijah is not walking back into different circumstances. He himself is walking back different. That oftentimes we want to go to God and have our circumstances changed, and while he's totally able and, and can and will and has done and will do, no matter what, silence and solitude is the place that we are changed. That's the point. So here we are. Three weeks into pressing into this practice. This is nothing new, but we're just taking some time to flesh it out. Maybe it's new for you, and that's fine, but we're just kind of realigning ourselves with God. And my, my desire for you, listen, no matter where you're walking in, my desire, my heart for you, I've been laboring over this space and over you in prayer, asking God to help our church, that you would look up in six months or in six years or both and and say, wow, I am closer to God than I have ever been. I am more on mission with God than I have ever been. I have people in community that know me. I am known and I know others. I have people that love me and love Jesus and are good for me and are not just yes men. That you would look up and God is genuinely changing your life. Not because you came and sat in a room on a Sunday, but because of of you personally cultivating your relationship with God. So groups kick off this week. And they're one of the spaces that, that, that we serve you well, that we care, that, that we find accountability and encouragement. And I just want to encourage you, man, if you're not in a group, find one and plug in. They're safe and they're good. I want to encourage you. Listen, I don't know if you're walking in for the first time in this discipline or if you've been walking through the last couple of weeks or you've been you know, following Jesus for a long time and this is just kind of an encouragement in your own rhythms. But, but man, get, get, get a plan together. Don't give up, right? It's a battle for your soul. So fight for that daily time with God and see what he does through it. Now next Sunday, we're introducing 21 days of prayer and fasting. And this is very intentional. This is intentional to follow three weeks of prep around silence and solitude because these disciplines go hand in hand. By the way, think think of a discipline as, as having the power and the help and the accountability from God to do the things that are hard to do. The things that I know are good, but they're still challenging. Put down the Twinkie and pick up the broccoli. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it's a discipline. And they're, they're a conduit. But today, as you leave, you're going to get a book. And on that book, there's some instructions on, on beginning to think through what you're going to fast from for 21 days. This is invitational. We're asking that you help us cover the cost of those books by making a donation of $5, just so you have it. It's 21 days of transformational prayer written by a friend who has helped shape our prayer culture here at City Church. It's an amazing book. 21 days gives you a daily prompt of your God time, of your silence and solitude, just a starting place if this is a new habit for you. And so we encourage you to grab those books and all of that kicks off next Sunday. So it gives you a week to process, to, to press into your own silence and solitude discipline, but also to then think about what you're going to fast from and things like that. But let me show you the life of Jesus as we kind of begin to wrap up our time together. I want to just give you a picture because uh, fasting can be a weird thing if, if it's not explained well. So let me show you in Matthew 4. Just again, this is back to where we started. Week 1, silence and solitude. This is the example we see in Jesus that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. That's the Aramos. That's the quiet place. That's the deserted place we've talked about over and over again, alone with God and ourselves to be tempted by the devil. And after, again, there's this, there's this war internally and externally on your soul. Don't miss that. And then what? After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, which is an understatement, 100%, because all of us get hung, hangry, you know, like by, by one o'clock today. So, so Jesus is, is hungry, and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And I, I just want to remind you, we looked at this the first week, but Jesus was hungry in this, in this space, 
but he was not weak in this space. We talked about it, that, that the eremos, that the, the quiet place, this silence and solitude and fasting is not a place of weakness for Jesus, but a place of strength. That after the end of these 40 days of fasting and prayer and time with God, he goes toe to toe with the devil and does not fail. Well, let me show you Jesus' words from Matthew 6 to give you a bigger example. He says, and when you fast, two observations, just as we kind of get, get into the discipline. When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that they're fasting so they can be seen by others that the motives are messed up. Truly, I say to you that they've received their reward. If, if you do it for the wrong motive, he says, I mean, that, that's, that's on you to impress other people. But he goes on. Jesus says, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, put some product in your hair, wash your clothes, take a shower. It's just good advice, right? And uh, he says that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who, who sees in secret will reward you. So two observations from Jesus here. Number one, he assumes that his followers will fast. So I don't know how long you've been following Jesus and what your relationship with him looks like, but he assumes that his followers will carry the discipline of fasting. The second thing we see from this quick passage is that he also assumes that we're going to mess it up, (laughs) which is so comforting for me. I'm like, yes, thank you, Jesus, that I'm not going to get this right every time, that he assumes that we're going to mess up the motive or we're going to drop a day or we're going to be discouraged or we're going to, you know, cheat or whatever. He assumes that we're going to mess it up at some point. Uh, They did a survey I I checked recently this week, and it said that 98% of people who actively identify and are actively engaged in in community and and actively following Jesus, 98% of those people, when they took a survey, did, did not carry a regular discipline of fasting. So, you know, we might pull the room and say, hey, how, how many people in the room are, you know, pressing into silence and solitude and that, that God time? How many people are gathering or in a group, right? We have all these metrics that we look at. But 98% of active Jesus followers do not carry the regular discipline of fasting. Which means when you look to the right or your left, most people in the room are not actively engaging in this discipline. Let me give you just a quick like, little history lesson, right? In the first century, this was a core practice in following Jesus, that, that they actually would, would have bi-weekly fasting. And by the way, in the first century, this is mostly to do with food, right? We're talking like a 12 to 24-hour period of not eating. Sometimes it involved water, but, but not all the time. And so very strictly, it was a bi-weekly discipline. You say, why in the world would we do that, right? We live in this instant gratification, the, the, you know, the God is our, our, our belly kind of idea of like, why in the world would I give up tacos for a, for a day? I mean, that sounds like a terrible idea. And so let me just give you this, this idea of what is fasting as we get into it. I don't think, by the way, Jesus wasn't in the wilderness for 40 days. This wasn't like a diet, right? This wasn't, you know, he was like, oh, in 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, I really wanted to kind of get lean and shredded, that way, when I stand up for the Sermon on the Mount, I look real good. You know what I mean? Like, he wasn't, he wasn't in that space. You say, well, why was Jesus fasting? Here's our working definition of fasting. You'll find it on the book as you, as you leave. You might want to take notes as well. Fasting is giving up something or some things that we love to pursue what we love even more. In our case, it's Jesus. It is intentionally creating a hunger inside of ourselves so that we can then direct that hunger toward God. So fasting from broccoli doesn't count, <laughs> unless, you like, unless you just love broccoli, I guess. But you know what I mean? You got to pick things that, that you love. And so we're going to widen the definition of fasting for over the 21 days. I'm not asking you to give up food for 21 days. <laughs> That's crazy. But to pick something or some things, media, social media, shopping, coffee, oh no, 
I'll give up food. <laughs> right? Whatever it is. Like, like there's a list on the book. You can, you can grab it. It'll be on our, all of our social platforms this week. But John Mark Homer says it this way. Fasting is intentionally creating a hunger inside of ourselves so that we can feed on the Holy Spirit. Or, or in Paul's words in Galatians 5, which I'm going to have you read later this week if you pay attention to the email that goes out or on our social platforms, he says to, to starve the flesh and feed the Spirit. We'll talk about that in a sec. I'm going to invite Daniel to come, and as he comes, I'm going to give you these definitions just, just to let you sit in it. I hope this creates a hunger in you and not, not an intimidation factor. John Piper says it this way. Fasting is whole body hungering for God. And and it's so hard for us in our Western individualized pleasure culture to think that we could possibly have an encounter with God through our stomachs or through our desires, but that's exactly what this discipline allows us to do. Dallas Willard says it this way. Fasting, I love this, is feasting on our Lord and doing his will. Isn't that good? By the way, this is intentionally planned to where it ends on Super Bowl Sunday, so that you really can feast, okay? Hot wings for days, come on, you're welcome. I did that for you, okay, or me, we'll, we'll see. All right, but, but here's what I want you to see on, on all of these definitions, and I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to teach us so that we can get the most out of this, okay? There's no biblical timeline. We don't see like a prescribed, make sure 21 days, make sure you fast. We don't even see, like when the fasting happened, it was mostly food, and it was 12 to 24 hour periods, not much more than that. And again, we're expanding the list, but here's what I want to challenge you to do. And and you're going to be in your city groups hopefully this week, and you're going to have a space to also do this. But I I just want to challenge you to look at your life and say, what can I give up that will be really challenging? So that then I can turn that hunger back toward God. And you're going to have this book that serves you well in that same space, giving you prayer prompts and things like that. But I'm going to challenge you over 21 days, maybe you've never done this. But I'm going to challenge every single follower of Jesus in the room to pick one day out of the 24, I'm sorry, out of the 21 days to fast from food and to do it appropriately, whatever it is for you. If it's eight hours, if it's 12 hours, if it's 24 hours, what, you know, if, you, if you're a pregnant mom or you're nursing, right, this looks very different. So there's tons of permission, all invitational, no guilt, no shame. But just to try one day of fasting from food in whatever way that you would like. Again, that's just on this card as we send it out. You'd use wisdom. And just see what God does over this period of time. See what victories are won. See what things are overcome. See what direction is given. See how God speaks. And again, Jesus warns us not to fast for the wrong reasons, right? It's not a diet. He says, as soon as we get out of whack with, with the motive, it, 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 we lose it. And by the way, listen, if, if you're struggling like with mental health or emotional health or you, know, you struggle, struggle with body image or, or, or an eating disorder, listen, this is, you're loved here. You're safe here. You're welcome here. But I, I'd like to just, man, just, just with the most care that I can give, just encourage you that maybe this is not the discipline for you right now. That maybe if you find yourself in those struggles, we wouldn't want to compound that, but maybe, maybe you need to meet with a pastor. Maybe, maybe we, you know, we can help you get a counselor or some therapy, whatever it is. This is a safe place. These are all invitational. But again, Paul's words would be to starve the flesh. And by the way, the, the flesh, don't, don't think of, this is not your skin, right? There's this whole false theology of Gnosticism that says that the body is bad, the body is evil, material things are evil. Not, not at all. God made the world and everything in it. He said it's good, including your bodies and the pleasures and the desires of our bodies. But sin 
brings us into disordered desires. And so the flesh, if you can think about it primarily as the disordered desires in our lives, the things out of alignment with God and his heart and his word and his will for our life, the things that are out of alignment, not good for us, not good for our neighbors, not honoring to God. Jesus would use a language of invitation. That true freedom is found. He says, when you come to me, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. That's the discipline of fasting, to starve the flesh so we can feed on the spirit. Let me give you two more quotes before we worship together, okay? Let me show you this from uh, Richard Foster. Fasting (laughs) reveals things that control us. Suck, right? Like, dang it! It's not what I'm in. I didn't show up today to, to find out where I struggle. If pride controls us, it's going to be revealed almost immediately. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear. If they're within us, they're going to show up during fasting. If you're fasting from coffee, that's about 11 a.m. It shows up and you're like, oh! Dallas Willard says it this way. He says, uh, uh, oh, I have the wrong quote, but this is Dallas Willard, by the way, sorry. This discipline, he says, teaches us a lot about ourselves very quickly. It certainly proves humiliating to us as it reveals to us how much more peace depends on the pleasures of eating. Or we can expand that to say the pleasures of being distracted or or, or just uh, uh, experiencing pleasure. It may also bring to mind how we are using food pleasure to assuage the discomforts caused in our bodies by faithless and unwise living and attitudes. He goes on, and he says, a lack of self-worth, meaningless work, purposeless existence, or, or, or lack of rest or exercise, if nothing else though, it certainly will demonstrate how powerful and clever our body, or, or we could say our flesh is, in getting its own way against our strongest resolves. I heard it said this week that your strongest desires are not necessarily your deepest desires. That's what we're wrestling with here. That my love for God can come to the forefront, even if my misaligned desires are heavy on the front end. So you're invited into this practice this week just to get alone with God, create the space, pray over it. What am I going to fast from? Am I going to be in community? Am I going to invite people to accountability? So a couple of things. Make a plan. You don't have a plan, make a plan. There's Bibles in the lobby, journals in the lobby. We're here to serve you in this. There's an entire webpage on our website dedicated to help you have time alone with God. But then get into a city group. And let me just encourage you, share honestly. This week you're going to have the space as we kick them off to invite others into the space of prayer and encouragement and accountability. Not to give up. It's hard. 21 days is a long time. Don't be intimidated by it. Invite people in. Be honest and transparent. And the last thing, is begin to plan and share your fast with at least one person from, from your community this week. Tell one person what's going on. Jesus doesn't say to hide it completely as if, as if you know, this is supposed to be totally unknown. This is making sure the motives are not out of whack. So I know this is a lot, but don't miss the heart of your Father who loves you. These are all invitational to go deeper into our relationship with God, to experience transformation, and to go back out the way we came to carry God's mission 
to understand his will, to see ourselves as truly loved, to see others as truly lovable. All of this is found in the heart of the God who loves you. So I'm going to pray for us. Will you bow your heads with me? As you bow your heads and close your eyes, this is just a moment of privacy for you to pray and consider what God might be having you do today. To begin to take an honest look at uh, maybe some of the struggles, some of the areas of resistance in your own heart and mind, those disordered desires that we all carry. Maybe there's something that you've been asking God for help with for a minute. And this invitation to be with God is where he changes us from the inside out. So whatever it is, whatever action step that you have on your heart and mind, joining a city group, asking for help, bringing in accountability, getting baptized, picking up the Bible, setting the discipline, making a plan, trying to fast, giving it a shot, whatever it is, Let's surrender that to God this morning. And maybe you're in the room and you're not a follower of Jesus and maybe you're just kind of wrestling with what all this means for you. And let me just encourage you that all of this is for you too. That Jesus has made a way, not into religion, not into performance, not into earning God's love and favor, but simply receiving it. That Jesus paid the price we could never pay and made a way for us to have a relationship with God that we could never earn or maintain on our own by trusting in Jesus, by trusting in his work, his perfect life, his death in our place for our sin and his resurrection from the dead. By trusting in Jesus, we can have new life. Jesus says we can be born again. The spirit comes alive and we're adopted into the family of God. We become a child of God that he begins to change us from the inside out. And all of that starts with trusting in Jesus today. No hoops to jump through. Just a response. Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are. I believe you can do in my life what you said you would do. And this morning, I'm giving you my life save me and set me free. And if you pray that prayer in your own heart and mind this morning, I want you to know that heaven is rejoicing. And so are we. And if you're making that decision to let us know on that connection card so we can help you and serve you in taking next steps. So Father, we give you the rest of this morning. Stir our hearts towards you. Let your presence come so our, per- our perspectives can change and will we walk out of here different than we showed up. It's in Jesus' name, amen.